Mindfulness mode. When did you stop dreaming and trade it in for hoping? Because hoping is an implied doubt psychologically, which means you hope for the best, but you are planning for the worst. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with an absolute stellar guest today. I am so excited. He is known for the architect of being, and he's got degrees both in psychology and clinical hypnotherapy. He's responsible for creating and managing marketing products, services, and corporate workshops. He's been working on all this for the last 25 years. He's an amazing teacher. He's an amazing expert when it comes to mindset. I'm here with Travis Fox. Hey, Travis, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. And matter of fact, as we were talking in the pre-show, I, I loved your voice. And like, God, God, Tribe, you guys have a great host here. If you're not listening to him, you really should. I've been in this space for 30 years and it's hard to find someone who has that beautiful resonance who also is actually walking that resonance. And if you can hear that in Bruce's voice, I mean, I say, hey, we just all go listen to one of his things and I'll, let's all go to the subconscious level. Let's go. So thanks for letting me be on the show. Hey, Travis. Wow. You're making me feel awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what a great guest you are. Yeah, awesome. man, let's go. I'm, I'm always a fan of other people. I'm like, look, I'm, you know, I'm just a grain of sand on the beach too. I'm just looking at other grains going, nice shine. That's really cool. Can I come hang out with you for a while? And we just kind of bask in that for a moment. Yeah. And that's so important. And that's kind of what gratitude is about too, isn't it? Uh Um, Yeah. Pointing at what we have to be grateful for and we have each other to be grateful for. So that's, that's awesome. I I love that you brought up gratitude. I'm a, I'm a big uh, critic of most people saying, well, you got to be grateful. You know, you got to write down your 10 things that you're grateful for. I'm like, I, you know, I've noticed that's a conscious exercise. Yes. And after about 10 days, you're just making crap up. You're like, ah, well, I'm grateful. I have legs. Well, okay, I understand that. And on an ethereal point of view, that doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about what does it mean to have legs? What is the gratitude that you have the ability to walk? I was working with a client, ironically, yesterday, who was an amazing, amazing businessman, but had an accident, as we all do, and now has a a situation where he is, you know, a, a paraplegic. And so you start looking at gratitude from a perspective of, gee, I'm glad that's not me. That's yeah. not what I mean, by, at least what I mean by gratitude. Like, why aren't we just in a state of gratitude all the time of everything is amazing? Because, hey, if you only had 30 days left to live, I promise you everything becomes amazing. A breath of air becomes amazing. Connecting with someone's eyeballs is amazing. Being able to wiggle your fingers is amazing. How come we're not in that state all the time? And that's the question I constantly ask all of our students. I'm like, when do you finally arrive at the, at the concept of gratitude is not a thought process? It's a state of being. Yeah. And the trick is to get to that place where you can make the difference between, you know, you're just going through the motions, you're making your list of things that you're grateful for. How do you really make it come from the heart? How can you, how do you really make it sincerely genuine and, and just feel it, feel that passion? I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Well, I think it's the question that we people get hung up on. Um, See, uh, it's funny because, uh, by the way, thank you for the intro. I didn't uh, do every time I hear my intro read, I'm like, are they talking about me? Really? <laughs> I think I'm just getting started. I'm like, a, I'm a 50 year old man trapped in a 16 year old mind. So I'm like, but is he talking about me? Uh, hmm. So thank you for that. But I think the bigger question is we're so focused on mindset training. I know I was when I was Dr. Fox and thought I knew something before I went, wait a minute. Um, if you actually look up the etymology of the word doctor, it means teacher. And I really had to redefine and re-understand what it means. And I think the word expert, which I appreciate the compliment, thank you. But I also think that's a very slippery slope. I don't think, uh, with all due candid uh, candidness, I don't believe I'm an expert in anything. I think that's the biggest misnomer is that we become experts. 
And then we lose touch with the very thing that makes us have an expertise, per se, which is going back to what we're talking about here, what we call the architect of the heart. And, and so in the, the, you know, the architects of being online academy, our first fundamental concept is you're the architect, right? You're a being that came from somewhere, whatever you want to call that's up to you. And you're going to leave and go back to that commonly called birth and death. Now, what are you doing while you're here? And it's not so much of a doing, but the question becomes, how do I get out of my head? Well, you're never going to get out of your head. The question is, are you using your head for the tool that it was designed to be, which we don't teach educationally, which is a big platform for me because that's my, my deepest passion. I think when you finally are willing to dive into um, and not surrender, it, so I think it's a very dangerous word. I've got to surrender. You don't have to surrender anything. That means something has to lose. That's, a, that's an ideology created by man. If you dive into what am I really interested in? And, and like we go back to that question, if we ask all your listeners, hey, tribe, you know, your, your leader here is asking a question. If you had 30 days left to live, would you be doing anything you're doing right now in your life? And if any part of your answer in any aspect is no, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the community at large to stop. Because that means that's not really in alignment with what the feeling is that you're, that you are quote unquote hypnotizing yourself not to believe is there. We all know what's going on in our heart. There's nobody that's going to teach you. You're not going to teach them. I'm not going to teach them. No partition is going to teach you how to feel. What we're going to teach you how is to stop feeling and stop blocking yourself from what you actually are, the being that you are. Because remember, you're, you're in this architectural being that happens to be having a human being experience. You're still a being. Right. So the human creates the adjective. So when we put humanity in there, we go, wait a minute. All I'm doing is I'm creating from the infinite, the I and finite, down to the finite. Meaning that the being within you, your actual self, not Travis. Travis is the name of my spacesuit. Bruce is the name of yours and all of you listening to this beautiful podcast. That's the name that was given you. But this is this beautiful being. But we stop connecting with that. When do we stop? And this is a question I ask, I'll ask all of your tribe. When did you stop dreaming and trade it in for hoping? Because hoping is an implied doubt psychologically, which means you hope for the best, but you are planning for the worst. Bingo, the plan for the worst is what you're going to get because it's the unconscious that's running the show. And it is the bridge between our being and our conscious um, yeah. Conscious awareness. So going back to that word surrender, yeah. not yeah. a word that you think is particularly helpful, but what about letting go? So if we look at the next 30 days, we think, okay, I just have 30 days left. There yeah. are certain things I want to let go of. I don't want to be focused on certain things. So I want to be letting go of things that don't serve me or don't feed me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think the word let go has become a, a very um, common nomenclature of, hey, you just got to let it go, Bruce, man. You just yeah. got to let it go. Well, great. I'm a how-to guy. I don't know about the rest of you out there in the planet. Me, that made no sense. When I was 19 and my, my golf career went the heck in a handbasket, which is how I really became to my true path, I went, I don't know how to let go. I'm still angry. I'm still upset. I'm frustrated. I'm, at, I'm at pissed off at myself. I got 15 voices all talking to me from all different kinds of aspects. How the hell do I let go? And there was no way to really let go. And even in golf, they would make this comment that said, hey, you just got to let go and just swing the club. Really? Well, there's like 16 things I've got to do before I even pull the club back to hit the freaking ball. So yeah. how do I get out of that? So I'm, I'm a how-to guy. I'm one of those guys that said, you know, that sounds really cool on paper. And there's some really, I guess, brilliant people. I'm apparently not one of them that just doesn't know the magic button to let go. I wanted a step-by-step -step system so that I could understand what's happening in my brain, what my subconscious is doing, what my emotional sequence is doing in the shadow subconscious. So I could get back to the true issue in a step-by-step -step system. So I think let go in my world, everything we teach at the university is it's about a step-by-step -step system. And mindfulness is about being mindfully aware of, hey, 
this is that thought. I now understand where it's coming from. I can understand how to step-by-step step unwind it to the original emotional driver that created it, how I get in my own way, or does it serve me, depending on what it is, and then make the choice. I think the biggest thing that one of the things that I think let go's challenge is it leaves out the concept that let, uh, that, excuse me, that deciding and choosing are the same thing. They're not. They're completely different anatomical structures. Decision is based on a previous construct of the past. By the time it comes to your mindfulness awareness, the decision was already made at the unconscious and you're just following along from a previous program, which is why we repeat patterns because we think we're deciding, think being the operative word. A choice comes from an awareness that sometimes you may not understand cognitively the direction you're being pulled. And I, I always analogize this to people. That's, we all know this, but we forget it. It's so much fun. I go, listen, kids, remember that nursery rhyme that said, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream? Here's a newsflash. The stream is life. Follow it. Let it take you where it go. Great architect, great spirit, God, whatever you want to call it is a heck of a lot smarter than we're ever going to be. So let's take the ride. But most importantly, row gently, gently down the stream because life is but a dream. But you're the dreamer. So you get to create this journey, but we spend so much time seeking that we're going to do something. We're going to be something. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're just going to enjoy the journey because you have no idea when the river goes. Guess what? We're going to smash you against the rock. It's time for you to leave the planet. You're going back to wherever you came from. We'll come back next time as a cat or a dog or a cow or whatever you want to call that. That's for fun. But that's the part we forget. And that, that letting go process is truly being mindfully aware of to go, how does this actually work? But Bruce, you're the same, you're of the same passion I am, which is why I'm so grateful to be on your show, is I'm a how-to guy. I believe educationally, we don't teach people how to experience the single longest relationship they'll ever have in their life, which is yourself. Right, you exactly. We don't do that. So my entire endeavor for the last 30 years and now hardcore over the next five is to train a million architects worldwide, but more importantly, change the educational system. So at middle school and high school, this skill set, this wealth set that we teach of how do I deal with all of these things? How do I really program my mind? How do I really create the life and architectural life that I want and that feels incorrect or feels correct for me? Not because mom and dad or church or state told me this is what I'm supposed to be, but because that's my journey, because that's the grain of beautiful sand, the light that you bring into the world because you're already light. By the I way. think that's that's so important what you're yeah. saying about focusing on education. And I'm also so glad that you mentioned about mindfulness and what it means to you, because I was going to ask you that question. Oh. What do you think of the word mindfulness? Do you Does that sit well with you? It used to when I was younger and I thought I knew something. I think now, unfortunately, and, and you of all people would get this, right? Yeah. Uh, you and I are a little more, and I hate to use this term, but old school, meaning that we had to come from a different space. I couldn't just jump on social media and go, hey, I'm an expert at something. I'm a law of attraction expert. Really? Do you have the life that you want? Then you're not an expert. So let's drop the ego. Okay. There is no such thing as expert. Now let's drop that for one. And again, like I had to, you know, the death of uh, my ego, which I'm still working on too, but was realistically of. Dr. Fox doesn't make me any more intelligent because I have letters before and after my name. It means I learned a bunch of stuff, very valuable, I get that. But what does that have to do with my being? Nothing, zero. Architecting, as we do it in the academy, is about a blueprint. It is, here's an architectural blueprint to architect your life and a lifestyle that feels in alignment with you, but not just because you wanna be one of the cool kids, because you had things you didn't work out. You unwind all of that because you understand psychologically what's happening how to apply it and experientially. So you have litmus measuring tests. And I think the word mindfulness now has been, you know, put back into the closet per se of 
Those people who are over in India or they're wearing an orange robe and they've shaved their head and they're only on the spiritual journey, hogwash. You know, you can have a life and a lifestyle and be very spiritual. I know I'm on one and there's thousands of architects around the world in the community that do the exact same thing from all walks of life, from CEOs to housewives and everything in between. It is about that. Um, it is the, I think, being mindfully aware, using that word, that your mind is the one that's messing with you. It's the one that's screwing with you all the time. The question is, who's running the show? And if you don't understand how to in, uh, work that out, blueprint, step by step, then, well, in the great words, you are subject to a man-made mind. The question is, who made your mind? It wasn't you. It was done long ago. And now your trick as the ownership, which is the mindfulness word, is to be mindfully aware, where do those thoughts come from? How do they get there? And then unwind them to your truth, your truth, not Bruce's, not Travis's, not you know, religion, church, state, mother, father, yours. That is the journey here is to recall you are already an enlightened being. To recall, you are already shining all the time. This, well, I'll tell you, Bruce, the one thing that really has been bothering me for the last couple of years, and maybe you have the, uh, like your opinion on it, is everyone comes around and says, well, Bruce, you need to be more light. You know, you, you need to be enlightened. People knock it off. You already are freaking enlightened. What you're not understanding is the layers and lenses that your mind and your traumas and your anger and your guilt and your frustration and I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough have put over the top of your light dimming you, dimming you from the awareness, mindfulness of who you really are, not who you think you are. And more importantly, you're robbing the entire world of the beautiful enlightened being you are. We're here to watch you shine too, because each one of us is a grain of sand in the beach of great spirit. You call that whatever you want. I call it great spirit, you call it great architect. I'm not here to tell you that, but for the simplicity of the metaphor, you're already enlightened. When did you believe that you weren't? And then that brings us to the addiction. And I think the number one challenge with mindfulness is we are mindfully addicted to the search. I'm constantly searching. I got to go find my passion. I got to go find my purpose. I got to go find my, my, uh, my soulmate, which is my favorite one. I'm going to find yourself. If it's a soulmate, you don't need to find them. They'll show up. That makes no sense. And besides that, I want to find my soulmate. I want to make my match. I don't want to meet my match. I want to architect my match because then the match is a beautiful thing versus I've met my match, which is a competitive ego structure. But they sound so simple when we say them and we're so dismissive to the powerful tool of our mind. Now back to mindfulness. We're not even mindfully aware of the things we think. In fact, I will put a finer point on it. Tribe, here's the deal. If someone talked to you the way you talk to you in your head, you would have zero friends. Zero, none, period. You wouldn't tolerate that from anybody. And yet you have 20, 30, 40 construct voices in your head constantly bombarding you, telling you you're not good enough. You'll never make it. You'll never measure up. This relationship stinks. I don't trust people. Life sucks. Money doesn't grow on trees. All these things that we don't really pay attention to because they sound like common nomenclature are constantly your mind reprogramming you to live a visceral experience. And because the brain is such a powerful tool, but if not directed and not architecturally blueprinted, it will wander off and create a muck. And we've all done it, man. I've done some crazy things where I went, where the heck did that come from? Yeah, and when yeah. I unwound it, I went, wow, talk about being hypnotized. And yet we have the audacity to go, but I'm an enlightened being. I'm like, no, 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 your being's enlightened. Your brain is dumb as a brick. It's only going <laughs> to do what it's programmed to do, yeah. right? And we, and we own that. I think that's the letting go of that. I am not my thoughts. When do I own that my thoughts are sometimes these random creations that come from places I would have never have thought because it's such a powerful tool. But again, going back to education, we do not teach people how to deal with themselves. We teach you how to take tests, how to pass, 
be at a boy, at a girl, get a bunch of grades and letters that mean diddly squat, you get a piece of paper, go in debt and go be enslaved for the rest of your life and hope to God you wake up around 50 with a midlife crisis and a red Corvette and all of a sudden, bang, now all of a sudden you're awake. That is such a waste and such a, uh, to me, the absolute enslavement of humanity. And the problem is we're the ones creating it. And I think the world is finally ready or at least precursorily ready because of the technology, because of shows like yours, because of the films that we do out there that says, wait a minute, what if we asked a different question? What if we took the whole sequence that we originally thought worked and stopped and just changed it? Because that's okay too. And I think the world's finally coming to that place. And of course, the Architects Academy, this has been our, our mission for 30 years and, and now going even faster because technology's allowed us to do that. And so that's what I think about mindfulness long-windedly. Thanks for yeah, me. Yeah, and I, I went and I think it's, there for a minute, Pamela. Thanks for, I got a little passionate. Sorry, it happens. You know, the <laughs> I think it happens a lot with you, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in my passion. I, I'm in passion. I, and I love that. I'm like, be in passion because, man, if you have 30 days left to live, I'm telling you, taking a breath is passion to you. You know, looking and connecting and look, hey, that's Bruce. That's a brother of mine. Yes, I don't know everything about Bruce. I don't need to know everything. I just need to know that he's here and that's enough. And there's something that's going to reflect back for me that I can learn about myself and I can share with him and we get great experiences because at the end of the day, that's all that's interesting is the experiences. Everything else is just stuff. Yeah, you're right. And and I loved what you shared in, in your movie. It was a recent movie called How Thoughts Become Things. And you really shared some awesome wisdom along with Bob Proctor and John, Dr. John Demartini and Joe Vitale, Marie Diamond, like so many other experts who are amazing. And I've had a chance to interview quite a number of them. And it's it's just great. Mindful Tribe, you can check out that that movie by going to mindfulnessmode.com slash how thoughts just the two words, how thoughts, and it's a $19 download. And then you can watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it over and over because that is the way we grab onto these ideas and how they start to really implement themselves into our life. Wouldn't you agree with that, Travis? Yeah, I do. I think the biggest challenge when we first watch a film is we're so engrossed in the film, we're actually not listening. We're yeah. just getting it all in, Sens sensory, you know, through our five senses, obviously. I mean, I'm assuming you're not licking this the screen or smelling it, but let's assume that through the, through the illusion of the of, of pictures, you get that, that construct. But the, I think we're so um, layered and lensed when we first look at a film, you know, maybe one or two things are going to kind of smack you in the forehead and you have an, uh, an aha moment. But as you watch it a second or third or fourth time, remember who you were 20 minutes ago when you first started listening to this podcast and who you are now has already changed. Change is a constant. The question is, are you the one driving the change architecturally or are you in subject to the changes of the man-made mind? And the film, with all the other great speakers, you know, it's just so much fun for all of us to get together and do it again and continue to push the boundaries, asking these harder questions and diving deeper down the rabbit hole. I think the audience is ready for it and they demand it. And this film really takes us to, a, again, I'm a how-to guy, which is, you know, when Doug and I talked about collaboration on the film, I said, you know, I, I really want to make sure that we do this. And Doug was like, heck yeah, this is what this is about. Let's get them. We're not going to be able to answer it all in 75 minutes, family. That's not possible. But what if we give you the first two or three steps that allow you to go, wow, I never thought about that. Or I never understood where that thought came from. Or how come that limiting belief keeps making me bang my head against the wall thinking it's going to become a door mysteriously. And yet I keep doing it. Right. These yeah. are the <laughs> one of my favorite ones. And I'm guilty of that I have a big knot on my head from beating my head against a brick wall for 20 years going, oh, it's supposed to be mindset training. Yeah, that's what it was. But, but the mind doesn't change. That's the problem. It has to change right. the beating. I know they have the mind to change. Oh, you left that out of the whole the doctoral degree thing, guys. You left that part out. Yeah. Oh, OK. Thanks for telling me that. So I think the, the funny thing about the film is, though, is it's done in a fun way where 
I think all of us are at the stage, especially in the film, especially, you know, some of us that are <laughs> been around since the dawn of dinosaurs, uh, you know, we've all kind of said, hey, look, this is kind of the legacy phase. And I use a golf analogy. I'm on the back nine of my life family. So I played the front nine pretty well, you know, but the back nine, I'm swinging for every, every, every pin. I'm swinging every drive all out, but I'm very present about every swing that I take. And I think all of us came together and said, maybe it's time we move from a space of this ethereal concept, you know, like when you go all the way back to the original film, The Secret, kind of just gave you this ethereal concept. Great, but it was wasn't really it was difficult to grasp onto. What if we gave it a more granular approach? What if we said, hey, Bob, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. Start here and become aware, mindfully aware of these are where these thoughts are doing. These are where they start to come from. Now let's take it from there. And then you can gravitate to whichever teacher, you know, if not all of them. Because each of us teaches in a very specific way, but you're going to end up in the same spot, which is, look, there's only one noble truth on the planet. The first thing that happens when you come to the academy is simple. Hey, Bruce, here's the deal. First truth you need to own. It's the only truth that's bona fide on the planet is you're not getting off this planet alive, period, period. But life without living is the ultimate undoable regret. So the question is, are you really living your life or are you just passing through it? Both are okay, but you get to own that choice right now. And the film is going to smack you right in the teeth with that question of, hey, if you don't understand where your thoughts are coming, you are truly just wandering around like a leaf in the wind. And then you have this wondering thought, which is my favorite one, that counter judges you and says, well, how come you can't get your act together? <laughs> Isn't it time we unwind both of those? Because both of those are the ones that are keeping us in the madness. And it's our own madness. And I, I invite people, I'm like, look, every thought you think from a certain mindfulness point of view, and this is a big, big pill to swallow. So let's just kind of take it there. Is every thought you think is either laying a brick in the path of your journey or it's building a brick in the wall of your own psychological prison. You choose where the brick gets laid, but if you don't understand where the thought's coming from, what the emotional driver is, the value system behind it, maybe even the trauma that came from it. And trauma can be something as simple as I wanted a hug from mom and dad and I didn't get it and I felt abandoned. It can be that simple at an emotional level, but the aspects of it, the spidering effect that psychologically penetrates every aspect of your life is something that we need to unwind. If we're not willing to do that, then okay, then you get to own the choice that you are the one that is creating your own prisons. You're creating that. And if that's what you want, journey well. But then stop playing the victim. Stop being the martyr. Stop blaming everybody else. You get to own that it's you. You are the architect. Yeah. And your most recent book, Architect That, is great. And I love the subtitle, Building Your Business by Leading from the Bottom Up. So let's yeah. talk about leading from the bottom up. How do we do that? Yeah, it's a double entendre. And so for years, I, I did what's called shadow CEO work. A lot of my clients where I would come in and they're the CEO of their company, rightfully so. And they don't want to let go of being the CEO, but they need help. And sometimes CEO is a very lonely position, specifically how it's been designed for the last 200 years plus. If you're the CEO, you know, it's the top of this pyramid. You're the top guy or gal. Everything rests on you. Well, that's great with one exception. It's a very difficult place to talk from because if you talk down, then you can, un you can unwind your entire organization. You can create dissension among the ranks. You can create insecurity because you're the leader. So where does a leader go? And so what I found in shadow CEO work was I was the CEO behind the CEO where they could talk, we could work, we could guide things out and move. And I started going, wait a minute. Fundamentally as a culture, it's built bass backwards because then the company tends to be limited by that individual or that board of individuals mm -hmm. on their ascension growth or awareness of where they are. Hence where we get companies that, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we're always going to do it. And that has certain value, but that constantly inhibits the ability for personal growth, corporate growth, cultural growth, leadership growth. That's not scalable at times. That becomes a control factor. So 
I said, what if we reorganize the entire model? And then I realized when I realized that being Dr. Fox was a construct of my own mind, I'm like, wait a minute, who the hell is Dr. Fox? I'm like, how come Travis isn't enough? Why does it have to have all these letters behind it in order to validate the same message that I've been saying since I was seven years old? Oh, I know, because that's what they said. Well, who the hell is they? It's some crap in my head. And I was like, time out. Let's unwind Dr. Fox. Let's unwind this whole thing. So it's a double entendre, very much like our, our logos you see over my shoulder. Um, Helix, man, it's an inside out job. Everything on this planet creates from inside out, including the planet itself, I might add. Seeds put in the ground, it comes inside out. Trees do the same thing. The earth does the same thing. How come we don't? How come we don't build our businesses? So architect as an academy and as a corporate trainer is the reverse model. So I'm at the bottom. Yes, I'm the CEO and founder. That sounds really cool at cocktail parties. But the real truth is I'm at the bottom. The next layer is my board. The next layer is my trainers. The next layer is my architect advisors. The next layer is our, our graduate students. The next layer is our architects and training. And it gets wider, but it's supported by the by underneath. So if you come back to the truth, all of my organization is supported by a great architect, not Travis Fox, because Travis is just a construct. He is just a construct of memories of experiences for my 50 years on this planet. So build your business so that your people are scaled. They are in the right space, the right place, meaning the right position, not because they say they're CFO doesn't mean that's who they are emotionally or that's what their core strengths are or what is their default mechanism. Help them discover that and then go wider because if you reverse the model, it's blue sky. But if we go with the current model we have, once you hit the CEO, that's it. That's as high as it can go. It makes no sense. So the book really gives you the first big five steps of how to reorganize your culture, exercises, how to do it, put people in the right places and team building from this model you know, inside out, both as the individual, but as a culture and go forward. And so that's what it was based on. That's how the entire academy is built too. Uh, Travis, you mentioned when you were seven years old, I want to know about that little Travis when he was seven years old. What was that little guy like? What, what kinds of things did you love to do? And how did you spend your time? What was a day like in the life of Travis Fox when he was seven? Yeah. Um, well, you're basically looking at a seven-year-old. I'm still there. Emotionally, <laughs> I allow myself to be a big kid. Uh, if you ever saw the movie Benjamin Button, that's kind of me. I'm the reverse model, right? So I've been responsible since I could remember. Uh, I came on the planet uh, in 1970. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and immediately whisked off to Germany, or excuse me, to Japan with my mother. My mother was a model and actress. My father was a fighter pilot, so you can do the math. And if you ever saw the movie, the original movie Top Gun with uh, Tom Cruise, that was not my life. It was like, shoot, right on by. <laughs> Sounded good on paper, but didn't work out. <laughs> you have a left brain and a right brain who had no bihemispheric crossover. I was like, oh, crap. But I got to learn from both of them in a very unique way. And then I came back to the uh, United States for about six months in Florida. And my father put a golf club in my hand. Uh, and I immediately was hooked. I knew, I knew it innately worked for me. I just was naturally understanding it because it's a psychological game. And that was my... my and how my, old were you then? I was, I was four and a half, five at the time. Wow. And then we, I was whisked off to Germany for three and a half years. So by the time I was nine and a half, 10, I lived more outside the country than I had inside the country, even though I'm a United States citizen and was born here. But it helped me understand that culture and being have very strong influences on you because obviously a Japanese culture and a German culture, both phenomenal, not including the United States culture, phenomenal, but very distinct, very different. And it helped me look at, wait a minute, we are all quote unquote different. And yet, ironically, we're all the same. And that, so it started me on that journey. But as a seven-year-old, um, I was very passionate about everything. I was passionate about golf. I got into acting and modeling because that's what my mom uh, wanted me to do. And she helped me do it. It helped me build self-confidence and being in front of people because obviously that's a very judgmental business. And I learned how to handle judgment of going, eh, eh okay, you, your opinions vary. 
that's cool. Um, I'm here about the experience and it helped me shift as I went into public speaking and, and performing and filming television to go, it's not the judgment. It's about how I want to create the experience for myself. And then that person resonates with whether they don't and both are okay. But I, you know, I was a golf kid, um, but I was the very dichotomous. I was just like my, my parents. And on the golf course, I was the Terminator. It was a bang. I knew the shot. I was going to hit it. I was a student of the game of golf. I knew everybody's technology and the shafts and the ball. I studied it all. And I was very diligent about it. And I approached it that way. However, when I was playing, I was social. I would talk to the other golfers. I would talk to people watching us play, and I, which is not what golf's supposed to be. And I went, well, why not? It's entertainment. And so I've, I've learned from that path of what I call edutainment. You know, And that's, that's a, not, a, not a term I coined, obviously, but it's a combination of we learn emotionally, no different in the film. We learn emotionally. So why don't we talk from an emotional point of view, have an emotional experience and educate at the exact same time. And now all of a sudden education isn't this boring thing. It's entertaining because we learn from that space and we, when we're emotionally involved. And so Travis was this big kid that said, I want to experience everything. Cause guess what? I know I'm not getting out alive. I had experienced, um, a lot of death when I was younger from grandparents and family members and, and sibling, or excuse me, uh, friends that had gone through that were like siblings to me that I had watched go through death. So I learned real quickly that death was imminent. What I hadn't learned yet was that it is, there is no timetable. I still had the illusion of, ah, you're young, you got time. Come on, Bruce, you got 70 years. That's not true. Uh, not true at all. And when I really kind of woke up to that in high school, it snapped me straight of time out. Uh, hmm. When I saw you know, two or three of my friends get killed in car accidents in high school, it mm. really brought that home to me of uh, time is really the most precious asset. The question is, how are you spending it? And I, and I hate to use the word spend, but unfortunately, English is a very rudimentary language. But how are you, you know, immersing yourself in the experience of time? And I think that became the big passion when I finally realized um, at 19 that I was playing golf for all the wrong reasons. I was playing golf for my father. My father and I had a very emotionally dissonant relationship. Uh, that was the only place we could relate. And I had been, you know, consistently playing better than my father since I was about 12 years old. And so there wasn't much to relate except for just playing the experience. But everything off the course, we didn't really relate well because my father was very much, you know, meat and potatoes, Michigan's you know, fighter pilot. You know, he'd been in the military. He was just kind of that thing and all wonderfully good. But that had nothing to do with what I was doing. I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a social creature. I'm emotional. My father wanted me to play golf more methodical which great, that helped. But if you've ever watched the great Tiger Woods, I would offer you emotion has helped a lot of the game of golf. Yeah, golf. for sure. And I, right. And I grew up with all these guys. I'm like, yeah. well, they're all being excited. How come I have to be a freaking robot? Right. So That's no fun. This, yeah. It created this very dichotomous state and conflict in me. And then I finally realized um, when I had my first real big heartbreak, uh, you know, I, I had never been really emotionally prepared for my own personal heartbreak, my own first big breakup relationship. I had no idea what to do with it. And I became a father at a very young age, which again, consciously wasn't planned. So we know intentions don't mean squat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, unconsciously, it was all part of the plan. Uh, <laughs> but at the time I wasn't aware of that. I was like, oh crap. Uh, and I wasn't really prepared for that. In fact, I don't know that anybody ever really is, but I wasn't prepared at that age for all, my entire world. What I had thought I was going to be, my life was planned out, Bruce. I was going to be a PGA Tour golfer. I was going to win the masters. You know, I was doing all this stuff, you know, it was done. Everybody knew it. I knew it. It was the thing. And then life went, well, that's really cool, but no, we're going to go right turn. And when it pivoted and everything came crashing down, I was very blessed that I ended up meeting my mentor who I sat under for 15 years and ended up you know, going through all of my schooling and getting my degrees under. And yeah, really, who was I, that? Oh, uh, that was Dr. Neves. Uh, he's, he's like my father. He really groomed me. 
But he also put me through hell. He said, look, I'm going to put you everywhere. I'm going to teach you all this. I'm going to put you on stage and put you through school. I'm going to kick your butt. You're going to write the papers. You're going to dive down the rabbit hole. Only for the only great homages when he finally came, which is why the, you know, you see the thing over my shoulder says equipment unwind your mind. And it's an homage to him because he said, look, I put you through everything so that you can understand that specifically from like the clinical hypnotherapy side, right? I mean, I had been 14,000 an hour on stage. I've been on stages all over the world and I've done what I thought was hypnotizing me because no, I taught you all this so that you could understand that they were already hypnotized, including you. But if you don't understand how to wake yourself up, you are subject to the whims of a mad mind. And then it was like, ding, the light bulb went off. I uh. went, oh, I thought, here I am. I thought I was supposed to be this again. So Dr. Fox is really just this person. Yes, knucklehead. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what, the, got it. So then from that point on, the, the entire academy shifted its focus of timeout. We're already hypnotized. That's the problem is we don't know, realize that we're doing it. We don't know where these thoughts come from. We don't know where our subconscious is creating, what a, a belief system is, what our adaptive response, what an internal state. We don't know any of that crap. We just know we're supposed to let go and feel better. But I don't. I feel totally insane. And these bills are overwhelming me. And I want to, you know, my kids are driving me nuts. And my relationship is supposed to be great. And it's not. And life all of a sudden does turn out. And that famous John Cougar Mellon Camp song, hold on to 16 as long as you can, because changes come around real soon that make us women and men becomes extraordinarily real. You're yes. like, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. Can we just go back to being 16? I'm like, you can, regardless of your age, I'm living proof of it. But also too, what if you came from being connected to something bigger than your thought process yourself? And that's when it really changed for me. And I became aware of, oh, he invited. And I remember I was in Bhutan when it really happened. And I really kind of came to that next awareness of the master's path has nothing to do with being an expert. The master's path has to do with you finally understand your service call. What am I here really for? Not from I'm an expert perspective, but here to serve. My service is to change the educational system, help people architect their life and a lifestyle with a step-by-step -step system that they can measure the results, understand what's going on, and do it with the worldwide community because it takes more than just one. It takes us all to do it. And here we are now <laughs> at the age of 50, some 20 years later, uh, and just going, oh, I finally figured out what the heck you were talking about. <laughs> I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but <laughs> I think I got it. Not Travis, sure. I, wa I want to ask you a question about bullying. I've worked in that field for a long time. Were you ever bullied or did you ever bully anyone else? Is there a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I would say the answer is yes to both. Being a new kid, because I moved a lot from both my, my, both my parents' work until I really settled into high school. Um, yes, the answer is. Yes, you know, you're the new kid, you get picked on, you get measured your results. And so they had that moment, but there's also times where I fought back. Um, my father was uh, invited, interesting choice, put me in martial arts at a very young age. So I knew how to fight, but I also knew how to fight psychologically. So I think the, I think the mindfulness on the both sides is apparent. I'm also an autistic parent, which has been the greatest lesson of my life about judgment and awareness. So I have two neurotypicals, my older two, but my youngest one who just graduated high school is autistic, changed my life forever. And I became really crystal clear that both sides mindfulness becomes very apparent as being bullied. How do I stay present enough to really understand what that's, what that person is saying to me? More importantly, what are they really feeling? And again, I'm not talking about being, you know, having some deep psychological conversation because at nine years old or 13 years old or 15 years old, that doesn't always happen. However, being aware enough to see what's really happening and go, okay, I got it. And not let myself emotionally react let my brain take off and go into fight or flight reptilian mode, but also as the bully to understand what am I really interested in? What's my objective here? Where do I feel insecure? How come I need to make someone feel less in order to make myself feel more? And for me, I think mindfulness, just being able to connect that as I see this other person, there is no such thing as we're separate. 
There is no such thing as Bruce and I are these two individualistic creatures that only exist in the universe and there's no connection between us. We just happen to both land on the same planet Earth because we both got lost in our GPS of the universe. <laughs> That's just total hogwash. But being mindfully aware to go, huh, wouldn't that be interesting if I came from a place of this? And with harmony or peace or connection or I see even to seek to understand. I think mindfulness would be very powerful for that. And part of what, you know, I know your mission is as well, which is I'm, I'm so aligned with you on is, wait a minute, we're all scared. We're all dorks. We're all cool. We're all messed up. The question is, are you at least aware enough to go, yeah, I'm all those things and I'm aware that I'm at least that and just own to that space. And from that, I think this beautiful thing of natural compassion will emote. It will come up automatically. You don't have to become compassion. You already are compassion. The question is, are you going to allow yourself to tune into that? Or are you going to keep hypnotizing yourself that you need to be alpha male or you've got to, you know, ladies, you've got to be perfectly made up with enough plastic surgery to make none of you real anymore. When are we going to disconnect from that concept and go time out? Because at the end of the day, and if you ever, and I, I would invite everyone in your tribe to experience this if they haven't, go be with someone who is on their verge of taking the great journey. They're getting ready to go towards death. Be with them for the last couple of days. Be with them, then take their last breath. I promise you, they don't give a flip about anything that you think is important. And me, me guilty as myself, but I've been around enough and been, I had the honor of being around many, many people taking their journey and going, they don't talk about that. They talk about, I wish I had traveled more. I wish I had let myself experience more. And I wish I had spent more time being in love and being with those I love and expressing it. It's always those three. And we all innately know that, which means you must come to the awareness we're all connected somewhere. How you want to quantify it's up to you, but we come there. And then becomes a question, now back to your original. Are you mindfully enough aware to go time out? In 50 years, will I give a flip about the car I'm driving? Will I give a flip about how many you know, trophies and awards and all this other stuff? And they're fun. They're great experiences. They're great chapters in your journey to experience if you understand it from a chapter point of view. But the question really becomes, are you willing to allow yourself to go down that road and arrive at your, your moment of transition and then be filled with regret? Because again, life without living is the ultimate undoable regret. You can't undo that one. You can start over right now. And start over is not a bad thing. Start over means just next chapter. What do I want to experience next? Because if someone's writing the book of you, what is the next chapter of it? What is it you really want to experience? Because man, if you had 30 days left to live, I promise you, you'd get real viscerally focused on that stuff like right now. And that further proves that we are hypnotizing ourselves into believing things that we know innately in our guts and our architect's heart are not aligned. The question is, are you willing to surrender the concept of, hey, I'm not my thoughts, dive into it, systematically unwind it in a very quick way and become aware of it and become mindfully aware of the choices you're making versus the decisions you're being brought back to. Yeah, Travis, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Oh, my autistic son taught me Uh to be present about everything, everything, because autistics feel what they feel fully, and then they they move on. We hang on for a lifetime. Right. So true. So true. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Travis? It hasn't. My emotions have affected my mindfulness. Cool. Being emotionally present and aware has changed my mindfulness. That's that's such a great answer. Uh, Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Well, it keeps my body moving for first part. That's very important. <laughs> and secondly, it allows me to get my mind focused on its mind, mind rule. Conscious mind has rules. All of us do, but most of us don't know. And one of them is that it holds one thought per second. So by focusing on the breath, it locks up that conscious mind so that it can't wander off. And that's how it's helped me be very present. And then I can feel my breath. 
I can really feel my emotions when I'm just on feeling my breath and my conscious mind's occupied on the thought of a breath. Your book, Architect That, is awesome. Tell us if you could suggest another book that is somehow related to mindfulness that can be a powerful help for people. Well, I won't shamelessly promote my own, so we'll leave that out of the equation. <laughs> I would say the biggest book about mindfulness for me that it was a massive effect was a book that was written in the early 90s. It was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Right. And it really, it was a, uh, Doc was amazing. She's taking the great journey, but read her book. Um, it was a great legacy left. It teaches you how to be presently aware of a decision versus a choice. And that, I think, was really the first place to start because fear is probably the most predominant thing we battle. Now, are there any apps that you could recommend that can help people with mindfulness? Oh, there's a plethora of them out there. I think you all know them by now. I think the biggest thing, though, is, oh, first of all, before you go wandering off, and again, we're back to addicted to search, all of you listening, you have a great teacher who is doing a podcast. It's called Mindful. He is a great voice. And again, I'm not shamelessly promoting him because I'm, I'm pretty tough on other people in this business, including myself, but he really does have the concept of it. So why don't start there and see where your heart takes you? I think me recommending something is great, but I think the real thing is start where you already are, be where your feet are, and then let the journey take you where it's going to go, merrily, merrily down the street. And I recommend you and your website and that movie you were in, How Thoughts Become Things, which Mindful Tribe, you can download for $19 at mindfulness, mindfulnessmode.com slash how thoughts. And your website, Travis, is architecting360.com, correct? It is, sir. Yeah. And, and uh, as a gift to all your, your, your listeners, your tribe, uh, you guys can go to the first three days of our jump training. Uh, our jump training is the experiential. We dive right in. You get it free. There's no upsells. There's no, hey, wait, it slices and dices. Wait more. Just go experience it. And if it aligns with you, you can jump into the academy. If not, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us be at least a part of your chapter. Awesome. And we find that right on your website then. Can't miss it. When you, when you hit the architecting 360, it says start here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's, that's great, Travis. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and all the best as you move on with your future endeavors. Thank you, brother. Thank journey. Well, thanks for letting me be a part of it. And everyone remember, you're not getting off this planet alive. So life without living is the ultimate undoable regret. Live your butt off, leave it all here because guess what? There is no tomorrow. So true. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens helps our show. So in the meantime, take what you heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. 